Hello and welcome to this week's BossCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and I'm joined by one of the residential sector's smartest and most hardworking entrepreneurs who has a four-decade track record innovating across structured finance, data and valuation technology. He's arguably one of the forefathers of UK prop tech and is here discussing his analytics company, his shared ownership business and an exciting new technology play that we'll come on to shortly. Now, according to Zoopla, the average time it takes to complete a home sale in the UK increased from 90 days to 115 days last year. But in some cases, the process can take much, much longer. And against that backdrop, Giles Mackey has just launched a new iBuying company called Upsticks, spelt with an X, of course, because they're a tech company. And Upsticks aims to offer homeowners a much faster option than traditional sales methods, one that can also be extended to trade sales and house builders where needed, offering everybody a lot more transparency and much more certainty than they currently enjoy. And already, Upsticks has £250 million in dry powder, with the market worth an estimated £20 billion. We'd expect that to grow pretty rapidly. Now, if anyone is able to predict how long it will take you to sell a house, then your money should absolutely be on Giles Mackey. Many will recall HomeTrack, his analytics company, being acquired by Zoopla for a reported £120 million five years ago. And since then, Giles has evolved another, even more powerful data analytics company called Outra, which we'll also be talking about in today's podcast. And as well as democratising home selling of upsticks and using Outra to give brands more targeted actionable insights than ever before. We'll also delve into Giles' shared ownership business, Halo, the country's biggest private investor in that space. But let's start with iBuying, Giles. What are some of the problems that you're looking to solve with Upsticks? Thank you for having me on today, Andrew. Upsticks really bred of a need, three needs really. Firstly, a consumer need. Over 200,000 of the 800,000 transactions in a regular year, 2021 wasn't a regular year, uh, but a regular year have some kind of a need to transact quickly. So that's probate, divorce, and debt. All of those situations may need a fast transaction. So that's where the consumer comes in. The second model will be for the house building community. So that's part exchange. It's for essentially those builders who potentially are meant to be meeting a target at the end of the year don't quite get there and would like to uh, have a service where they could sell their properties to a third party and achieve their targets in a very small timescale, seven days. Mm. And other builders who potentially uh, need to sell portfolios in order to alleviate potential debt margins, et cetera, and push on a portfolio to a third party and will be there to do that. Yeah. And then thirdly, aspirational. If you're there and you're in a chain, then we can break your chain for you. We've introduced some brand new technology to that marketplace, working with partners such as Connells to break their chains. Connells reckon they've got about 7,000 transactions in their business where our chain break model could alleviate the break in a chain. Mm. And then finally, if you really want to be a cash buyer to buy that house of your dreams, we'll be there with the model which will allow you to do that again within seven days. Yeah, yeah. And it's a market which which could be worth around 19 to 20 billion pound annually. So there's a huge amount of potential upside there. I mean, how realistic is it that some of these promises of completing home sales within seven days can actually be met? Most people don't want to move within seven days. But if you don't want to move within seven days, we'll make it happen. And I would say probably since the launch of Upsticks back in December, about 50% of our transactions have all been completed within seven days. 
So, Charles, let's go back a few decades. And data's always been a crucial part of your DNA. And you've been on a fascinating journey, haven't you? That actually began in law school, didn't it? Yes. So I did a a spell at bar school and uh, came out of there and all my friends were going off and joining banks and uh, getting great salaries. And for some reason, I had this kamikaze approach to life and decided to set up a business about the same time as, well, in those days, setting up a business on your own was cast you out as something of a maverick. It meant you couldn't get a job doing anything else. So my kamikaze model essentially led me into setting up businesses. And the first of those businesses was Home Search, which um, I guess you would now call Right Move, or in fact, Zoopla. The only downside was that the internet hadn't been invented at that point in time. Uh, but, this is 1982, so yeah, a couple <laughs> of years off. Yeah, which ages me. So you're getting a feel for how old I am at this point in time. But in the US, anybody who was around at that point in time will have been familiar with multi-listing businesses. And the net result of that was why didn't they exist in the UK? And uh, it required estate agents to list their properties in what was then local newspapers. And uh, there wasn't much enthusiasm for doing any of that. So we uh, th- that business didn't exactly pass, but it did give me a first flush at what the real estate marketplace looked at. And after a couple of years being disillusioned by not getting a business going, I had decided that real estate, well, I couldn't turn back at that point in time because uh, turning back wasn't possible. So I had to carry on with my real estate career. And we, we set up a, a business center business then, but I really lighted on commercial property and the ability to be able to buy commercial property at that point in time, really without having any actual capital of my own. And for some years, I used mortgage indemnity insurance to buy some assets and, uh, in fact, ended up with a pretty significant portfolio within about two or three years and then took that to the next extreme and did tax-based leasing. And I guess the the last of those transactions was Hybrid and Dragon, which was uh, a tax-structured leasing product. Interestingly, it just matured last month. And um, for those people who look at a thing called uh, Super, S-P-U-R, which is a REIT, sold 21 of the 26 superstores that I bought back in 1999 back to Sainsbury. So after all those years, that transaction was something that just matured. So back in 1998, our lawyer of choice was hired by Ken Clark, who was then um, Chancellor of the Exchequer, to effectively stop banks writing leasing contracts with real estate owners and therefore uh, start paying some tax. And so tax-based leasing pretty much came to an end back in 1998. And uh, so actually I'd lighted already because I was looking at income streams, I'd lighted already at, at the residential property markets ability to do two things. Firstly, throw out very long leases. And secondly, unlike an office building, it didn't depreciate in value. So the third thing that attracted me to it was that nobody else was really there. It was seen as very much being the poor relation of anything to do with commercial real estate. And uh, I I thought that was a great place for me to be. On top of which, back in 1993, I'd bought the residential assets of Ford Motor Company, which was considered in 1993 to be quite a decent sized transaction, about 60 million pounds. And broadly speaking, it coincided with, for those who follow peaks and troughs in the property market over the last 30, 40 years, they will have seen that 1992 had a fairly significant trough just afterward, caused by inflation in that instance. And we bought the assets in 1993, 
and they continued to appreciate through the whole of the 90s and then back into 1998, 1999, which led me into our part exchange transaction. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a fascinating journey. And Russell Pedley from A Sale Architecture was uh, joking about this last week. He said, oh, you know, well, Giles used to be a tenant of ours. And he popped out one morning, came back and said, oh, I bought four major companies, property assets. Busy morning. Yes. Well, well, it, actually, it was very interesting. The, the meeting that I had when I first bought that is now just turned into a fairly well-renowned uh, club in London down at the bottom of Albemarle Street. So uh, last time I went in there, I remember a leaky roof with a senior executive of Ford Motor Company selling me um, several hundred houses. And now I walk back in and you can get a good drink and a good meal. <laughs> well, I look, I look forward to Russell Pedley buying us both lunch at some point soon. But but anyway, look, HomeTrack is, is the company you're, you're best known for. Can you talk us through its genesis at the end of the 90s, alongside PXS, which was the part exchange firm that you also had at the time? PXS came first. HomeTrack came a couple of years later. And some of the genesis of HomeTrack was actually with with PXS. What we really wanted to do was we were buying significant amounts of property, broadly speaking, in the part exchange space, quite often for retirement house builders like McCarthy and Stone. And we wanted to have a mortgage-ready product and something that still doesn't exist to this day. And the most expensive part of the transaction was to create a valuation and a home track computer-aided valuation model was a relatively cheap way of putting a valuation on the property. Now, here we are, cast forward to 2022, about 94% of the UK banks use an AVM, most specifically the home track AVM, and it's seen as being part of the landscape. But there still is not a mortgage on a property before it sells. That was the original intention going back to effectively the year 2000. So could you just, 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 I'm just conscious of jargon. How does an AVM work? Could you just talk us through it in the simplest possible terms, how it works, what it does? So uh, effectively, if you take all of the comparables that you have in a marketplace, which effectively a surveyor would ordinarily pick up and look at, then he would put those alongside each other. He would calculate which ones were close and which ones weren't close in a model and decide which ones were the most relevant to the value of the property in hand. Now, a computer does the same thing. I mean, arguably, a computer has, it can't go and look at a property, but it has more data, the ability yeah, yeah. to identify with that data and the ability to put out a valuation given all of those similarities. And then in terms of how that powers what you're doing with Upsticks, you've got a new and improved AVM, which is able to go off and churn thousands of data points a second, enabling you to really give a, a very clear indication of when a property is going to meet your needs or not. I sold Home Tractor Zoopla back in 2017. And when I sold the Home Track ABM to Zoopla, what I wanted to do actually, and some of the plans I had before I actually sold that, were to come up with a model which effectively predicted demand in a marketplace. Now, price and demand are a function of the marketplace. And Outra came out of that. So Outra actually in many ways, is more than a valuation model. It's a demand model. So Outra's a new, just to clarify, Outra's a new business that's also emerged over the last couple of years. Outra, as far as I'm concerned, is my outgrowth of home track. So taking some real estate data, we then add demographic data. So the model there is 40% real estate and 60% demographics. And we predict when a consumer is going to do something. In this case, buy a house or even sell a house. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of what it's, churning through its system, 
what are the other things that it's able to crunch in and make conclusions from? Whereas an AVM really only takes account of the property itself, Outra takes account of the affordability of the property and who is in the market to buy that property and how many people are there. And of course, that does two things for you. A, it uh, demonstrates demand. It demonstrates how much demand there is for that particular property and therefore how solid that price is in relation to its position in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Returning to Upsticks and the iBuyer platform that you're just launching now, there's a couple of different sources that you have in terms of where you're going to procure stock from. One source is obviously consumers, and we'll come on to them in a second. But the other obvious source is going to be house builders that are wanting to sell properties, you know, maybe at a bit of a discount, potentially, for whatever reason. And how do you see Upsticks playing alongside parts of the development sector. Going back in history, as we mentioned earlier, PXS really worked with house builders going back to 1998 and didn't really engage with the consumer marketplace at all. And for the last four or five years, uh, since 2013, help to buy has really taken over as being the big incentive for house builders to use in the context of moving their property along and first-time buyers who are really the major beneficiaries of the help to buy model have driven the entry point for the marketplace. So PX has really fallen by the wayside, but help to buy finishes in the tail end of 2022. I think it's conceivable that part exchange may come back as a model. Of course, in the meantime, most house builders have got rid of their PX teams and they might want somebody else to come in with a different form of capital than they have to take over the part exchange portfolios. So that's one route. The second route might be that coming to the end of a, of a financial year, there are always ups and downs in the marketplace. Uh, most house builders have very stringent and strict targets, and we can help house builders meet those targets at the end of the year if they've got some overhang of property, which is marginal in the context of them making their targets as not. Hmm. And the third route might be that we are here to supply service to house builders too, buying portfolios of house builders Again, we have a different form of capital than house builders have. They might want to move on with new developments. They might want to ease their covenants in relation to some of their lending. They might want to buy a bit of land somewhere and take out a profit on a piece of development they have, in which case we'll be there to to buy those assets from the house builder as a service to meet their objectives. Mm. Right. So we've talked about the, uh, the house builder side of things. How is Upsticks looking to make life easier for consumers? What are some of the pain points that you're seeking to solve? About 105,000 cases a year of probate, which is broadly speaking, the second occupant of the house passes away. It's quite rare in the UK for children to live with their parents. And so as a consequence of that, a property comes into probate and the property is pretty much nearly always sold. And... So children may be living elsewhere, there may be multiple children, and they want to move the property along probably as quickly as possible, the least possible fuss. And we are there ready to make that happen within a timescale, an identifiable timescale. And let's face it, we do charge a discount, but the amount of discount that we charge over and above that of agency fees, etc., is relatively small. So people see the convenience of transacting with us in order to meet a a timescale, whatever the rationale they have for getting that money into their bank accounts as quickly as possible. 
Mm. I mean, there's around 800,000 homes sold every year in the UK, which is the fair old whack. And clearly as well, there's that other big issue around chains and around people who might need to just to move quickly for all sorts of reasons. And they're not really a group that are currently catered to properly, are they? We're partnering with Connells. And Connells would estimate about 7,000 chains currently exist through their chain of agencies. And chains are seen as being a scourge of the UK property market. They hold on to people's ability to transact as quickly as they'd like. People have, broadly speaking, expended significant amounts of money in surveys, bank fees, solicitors, etc., to make their move. And then all of a sudden, a property which is further down the chain, the sale falls through and all of a sudden, they're all stuck until the property somewhere down near the bottom of the chain is released again through somebody coming in and buying it. And there are people out there who will help that person sell their house, but there's nobody out there who will come and buy that house. And we will buy that house within a seven-day timescale. And on top of that, I think we've come up with a fairly innovative model, which allows everybody in the chain to contribute. Why is the person at the bottom of the chain who's probably least able to afford a discount covering the whole of the discount there in in relation to making this whole chain work? So we've created an electronic model, which we're giving to our agent partners who effectively will allow everyone to contribute to that and make sure that the transaction happens quickly. And in terms of people looking at the market now and wondering where things are going to go, what are some of your views on that, Charles? Given you've got all this data, you've got this technology, and you've been in the market for a few years, where should people be looking to buy? Where are going to be the growth areas over the next 12 months or so? In the last year and a half, I think we've had an unprecedented market conditions. Clearly, COVID refocused everybody on looking at their home and looking at their living conditions as being a much more important part of the fabric of their families' lives. And you saw a lot of people moving out of conurbations, most especially London. And also the working practice of working from home has gained ground, and I think that's here to stay. So people have looked for more space. They've looked for more space in areas where they can especially get a garden. London And flat dwellers have probably been the recipients of the least property growth over the last 18 months. And my view is that potentially might continue as people seek more space, both inside and outside the home, and they seek a more suburban location. Mm -hmm. And let's come on to one of your other businesses. So moving aside from tech and from eye buying for a second, one of the other companies that many people in the real estate sector will be familiar with is Halo spelt H-E-Y-L-O. And that's uh, the, the country's biggest private investor into shared ownership housing, isn't it? Yes. Well, we again, this is a business we've been looking at for quite a long time. I mean, if you started with a structured finance background, as we did, tax-based leasing is really structured finance, you are inevitably drawn towards a model where you get a very long lease in housing. You saw the interesting ground rents from a fairly significant percentage of the uh, structured finance population a while back. But I think shared ownership housing is inevitably designed to become the fourth tenure. As you quite rightly pointed out a little while ago, people's attitudes towards their homes have changed, but also the cost of owning a home has also changed. And the ability for people to have a home which they can call their own. They might own less of it than 100%. 
But what's so different there than owning with a mortgage? Because effectively, a shared ownership product is really having a very calm partner in your home who never visits the property, who never comes around to see it. You treat the home exactly as it's your own. You have completely fixed tenure and you have a very long lease, 999 years these days. So there's no real difference in that than having with a mortgage. But in fact, there is one core difference, which is that in our context with Halo, it's a government-funded program, and the piece of the house which you don't own is a very low-cost piece. And therefore, that enables for people who can't make their way into the housing ladder for two or three reasons. Firstly, they might be able to find the big deposit. Secondly, they might not meet the mortgage multiplier, and therefore, effectively, they can't afford a house of the sort of size that will meet their needs, hence affordability, is able to buy a house which they can live in and call their own and have fixed tenure, and their family can grow up in. So if we go back to, say, for instance, rental, the average rental in the UK is still not much more than 14 months. And if you're a young family and you're moving house every 14 months, that's a massive upheaval. Mm. But if you're in a shared ownership home, you get fixed tenure, and there's no difference in that than full ownership. But to what degree has the shared ownership market just been underserved? Because it, you know, it's, it's an asset class that's been around for 40-odd for years, hasn't it? So it's not a new concept. I think, broadly speaking, it's completely misunderstood. We had a survey uh, with focus groups carried out in 2020, and one of the questions came up, well, who am I sharing a house with? Um, uh, uh, Sherry Giles. Sherry Giles, yeah. Come and hang out with Giles. Or uh, am I allowed to have a dog? Uh, Am I allowed to put my pictures up? So there's a a complete misunderstanding. Could we have have a dog and put our pictures up? We shared with you, Giles. You need to tell us. You, well, we just got got a new dog in our household. Uh, (laughs) It's not a very big dog, but it's a dog all the same. So I think there's a general misunderstanding around shared ownership. And what we call on the government to do, whenever I speak to anybody in government, we call on the government to do a publicity model like they did back in 2013 with Help to Buy. Um, Help to Buy is a complex model, essentially, for most people to understand, but it's taken off and most people have seen how it's benefited them. And it's like because a lot of people don't understand it. They don't. Because, I mean, uh, uh, equity loads, people don't understand equity loads go up. They don't. But uh, equity loans do go up. But uh, essentially, when uh, it's not a reliance on the shared owner to pay off, in our case, Halo, Mm. if they don't want to. They don't need to staircase out if they don't want to. They can sell the whole house at any point in time if they want to without ever paying Halo off. And in that case, they take the property appreciation on their share and Halo will take the property appreciation on its share. But again, the alternative for that was renting where you wouldn't have any share. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing quite a lot of other major institutions coming into this space in more recent months. People like MG Real Estate, who have had a PRS platform for some years, they've recently come into shared ownership. And we've obviously got other major players like Legal in General that uh, certainly have an affordable housing arm. And do you see this being a great fair for institutions? What took them so long? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, obviously you didn't get it. From an institutional perspective, it's a really high quality piece of paper to own what I call the right-hand side of the house, the, the residual value in a shared ownership model. But it's about more than that. It's about looking after our shared owners. 
It's about working with our shared owners to service their needs. During COVID, we went out to all of our shared owners and invited them to have a moratorium on payments if they wanted it. And I think people appreciate that. But it is the lowest cost form of ownership there is in the marketplace. And it's absolutely services every single marketplace in the UK. I think Halo is in more postcodes than any other provider. And we have established a great deal of credibility with the house builders who build the houses for us. Mm. So the Halo model is a little bit different from most people's in the sense that most of the housing associations who've been in this marketplace for the last 30, 40 years, going back to the 70s, build the units and Halo don't. So house builders build the units. We use the data to identify where we believe demand to be the greatest, but mm. we don't build the units. And we work with our house builder partners to push out the home reach brand, which if you like, is an easier way to sell shared ownership because most people don't ask the question, who am I going to be sharing the house with? But it's a shared ownership model that the builders have promoted. And you'll find it on about 170 sites through the UK right now. And house builders like it in the context of it opens up an entirely new marketplace for them, i.e. affordable marketplace, which current products or full ownership with a mortgage don't. Mm. So where is growth left in that space then? So if you're already in so many postcodes, how much growth is there left in the shared ownership market? I mean, are there still constituencies, for example, some of the red wall constituencies in the north, are there still constituencies that have been underserved by cheap housing over the last five or six years? Total shared ownership problems in the UK, tiny, 205,000 units of shared ownership. And the grant programs, most specifically since 2006, have all promoted some form of shared ownership to a greater or lesser extent. Section 106, of course, always has a shared ownership constituent part to it. And the latest affordable housing program, which is a government-funded program, which all the shared owners use, all the shared ownership companies use, effectively gives a subsidy to enable annuities funds like ours to essentially make the numbers work in relation to an affordable housing program. How do you make this work in the other areas? Let's say take red wall areas. I'm very fond of bringing up this map, which shows that Help to Buy was really very focused on the central Midlands, East Midlands, West Midlands, and the South. But the North was probably the area which benefited the least from Help to Buy, where it effectively needed the most help. Shared ownership if you put the two products side by side, creates the same affordability and more flexibility, uh, depending on, you could have, of course, now buy down now to a 1% share if you want to, mm. but creates more flexibility, more affordability, and it is more applicable to areas in the north of England than probably helped by was. So, so Giles, are you saying that shared ownership could be a huge vote winner in the Red Wall? Uh, absolutely. Here we are sitting here in the early part of 2022. Elections happen in 2024. Leveling up has been on the agenda since the last election and those red wall seats, which uh, were meant to have been the recipients of quite a lot of attention, not least of which spending on infrastructure, which simply just won't happen before 2024. However, outstanding planning consents, around about 200,000 units on units that are ready to go with existing house builders in all of those constituencies in the red wall 
with demand from local occupants who need essentially homes and decent homes in those areas could afford. So think if you're in government, you want something to happen. The only way it's really going to happen before 2024 is in the housing marketplace. And that's going to happen with builders and hopefully Halo on areas where there is available funding through the affordable housing program to build units there. And you look at any map of the UK and you can see that the effect of house building in the context of the gross domestic product of each of the individuals living in each of the areas through the UK is driven through three areas, manufacturing, service sector, and real estate. And real estate is largely missing in those areas. You look at any estimation of the performance of real estate in any areas other than the southeast and London, and you don't get it. So to actually drive the economies of those areas to make a difference before the next election, house building is really the only thing you can do of scale. Well, that's a great place to lead things. And there's nothing really more to add than a huge thank you to Giles Mackey for a whirlwind journey through his career and for a fascinating insight into some of the research being created through his Ultra analytics platform and into how he sees upsticks disrupting the market, much as Kazoo arguably has done in the secondhand car buying sector. Now, do head to upsticks.com for more info. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by searching PropCast on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, or or anything else that you use for your podcasts. Do stay tuned to propertyweek.com for the latest insights. And I've been Andrew Teacher, as ever, from Blackstock Consulting. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Take care.